We'll be reading from verse 15 to 26. Matthew chapter 27, verse 15 to 26. Okay. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner, whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down in the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, do thank you once again that we have your precious word with us today that we can learn from and, uh, and, and obtain your precious truths. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that your spirit would be our teacher that I'd be simply used as a, as a tool, as an instrument for you, Lord. I just pray that, uh, indeed, that our hearts would be open to the things that you would have us to know and uh, the things that you would have us to do. We pray that, uh, that Jesus' name would once again be glorified in this message. In his name we pray. Amen. That's an interesting story, isn't it? Life's uh, <coughs> full of questions. Um, there, if you think about the average day that you have, there are many questions that, that are asked of you as a person. Um, you ask them probably of yourself more than anyone else, and you have to produce an answer. Um, most questions that we go through in our lives are fairly insignificant. For example, you know, what colour socks am I going to wear today? That's a question. But the result is fairly insignificant. If I choose to wear black socks or blue socks or red socks or whatever it is, I mean, what's going what's to hurt? I mean, if I walked in with red socks, maybe someone might take notice. But it's not going to make much difference to my life. You know, what am I going to eat tonight? Some people might think that's an important question, but not really. Because one way or the other, you're going to eat. It, it, that might be a more significant question for someone who doesn't have any food. But for us who generally have plenty of food around, one way or the other, you're going to eat. You're not going to starve to death if you don't have your food this evening. Which car will I buy? For some people, it's a very important question. But the truth of the matter is, most cars get us from A to, a to B without much, without much fuss. Most cars that we drive around Australia are fairly good cars. Um, so it's not that an important question. There are some questions that are a little bit more serious. For example, who am I going to marry? 
That's a fairly important question. Whoever you choose, you're going to be stuck with it for the rest of your life. That's a fairly important thing. Okay. Um, what career path will I choose? Once again, also another fairly important question. But if you look at it, even those questions that we deem to be fairly important could have multiple answers. If you don't marry a person, there's probably another person who will generally, you'll generally match up well with and have a good life together with as well. Same thing with career. Hey, if I'm not going to be a firefighter, I might be able to be a policeman, I might be able to be an ambulance driver, I might be able to be a whole range of things which will still fulfil my, my skills and, uh, and, and provide me with money to support my family and the, and the rest. A lot of these questions aren't, if I don't get one, I won't have anything. Most of the, question, most of the answers to these questions have multiple answers to them. Okay? Now, I'm not saying those questions aren't, aren't important. They are important. But there are some questions in life that are absolutely critical. And if you get them wrong, they'll have absolutely dire circumstances. And Pilate asks three questions in this passage. Okay? Um, he asked it of the multitude during the trial of Jesus. And the answer to these three questions was not only critical for the people that, that lived at that particular time who actually answered uh, Pilate, but it's really critical for everyone today. See, Pilate asked three questions to that, the crowd that really is begging to be asked of every person in this world that's living now. How you answer these questions determines not just the ha- your happiness or whatever it is for, for a few years in this world, but answers the question of where you will spend eternity. Now that's an important question. Because if I compare eternity to the brevity of life, if I compare an eternal existence to 60, 100 years, let's say I live 200 years, there is no comparison, is there? 200 years, eternal. 200 years, eternal. How do you match that up? You can't even compare. If you have to weigh on a scale, eternity wins every time by a very, very long way. In fact, you can't count how much it's, it outweighs the, the, the small lifespan that we have. Today, we're going to look at these three questions that, that every person really must answer. And like it or not, every person will answer them. Whether they like it or not, they will answer those three questions. And the three questions are in the passage, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Who do you want to be amongst yourselves? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ. Once that question is, uh, is answered, the next one is, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And finally, why? What evil has he done? Okay? Answer those three questions. And they follow one after the other very, very nicely in, 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 in circumstances of people's lives. And we'll have a bit more of a look at that in depth now. Let's look at the background a little bit here. Jesus had been brought to Pilate in an attempt by the Pharisees and, and the church leaders at that stage. I shouldn't call it church because we know church started at Pentecost, so the, the religious leaders of that, of that age. In an attempt to have him taken out of the way. They wanted to get rid of him. And they couldn't do it themselves. So what they did is they were using Pilate, 
they were using the Roman system to do their dirty work. Okay? It was there. We're going to use it. Because we don't know how to get rid of him. But you know something? We'll use the Romans because they're nasty people. And we, use, we can manipulate their system. We can actually get rid of Jesus. And when Pilate, when they brought Jesus to Pilate, he questioned Jesus himself. And you get the sense from, from Pilate's responses to Jesus that Pilate either thought that Jesus was a, either a bit crazy or insignificant to him. Pilate's main concern as the Roman governor was to do what? To protect the peace of his, of his uh, area that he controlled, that he governed. He didn't want troublemakers. He didn't want uprisings. Okay? He didn't want people who were going to cause him problems because he had to report back to Rome. So Jesus was a guy who called himself the Messiah. You know, he's, he did, wasn't causing much problems around the, around, the, around the place. For Pilate, he wasn't a big problem. And in a sense, Pilate starts making a bit of sport of the situation. Sport, you say? Well, yeah. He wanted... When he brought up the option of Barabbas, he really wanted to offer them almost a, a, a solution that they couldn't, they couldn't say no to. You know, Italians have been known to make offers that you can't refuse. Well, according to Pilate, this was an offer they couldn't refuse. And you might say, why? Because Barabbas was a criminal. Barabbas was a known person who was involved in a lot of different things. We'll look at that a little bit more. In, 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 in essence, Pilate was offering them uh, almost a, uh, a very easy choice. And he's probably thinking to himself, surely that can't pick Barabbas. He doesn't choose a petty criminal. He could have chosen someone who would, you know, evaded tax. He could have chosen someone who was, you know what I mean, a petty, a petty thief. Instead he chooses someone who's a notable criminal. Everyone knew him. Someone who was well known to have done a number of things, and we'll look at that in a, in a moment. He was a notorious criminal. Notorious and I think Pilate wanted to tell them, listen, you know, you guys be quiet. I'm going to give you this option. I'm going to give you either, I'm going to release to you either this, this criminal who has done all these nasty things or this guy who calls himself Jesus who really is insignificant. I am convinced that Pilate offered Barabbas to thoroughly throw them off their idea of having Jesus crucified. Because he plainly states in his thing, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And, he, and the scripture, if you look at this passage, he actually says he does it in front of the multitude. He says, here's your problem then. Whether Pilate was justified in, in washing his hands, whether that, that meant anything or not, is a separate point. But Pilate was convinced in his own mind in this passage that Jesus really didn't deserve to be crucified. That he was just. What happened was, they surprised Pilate. 
They called his bluff. Look at verse 24. Notice how it says, When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. The crowd had called his bluff. And regardless, notice how it says he could prevail nothing. He realised he wasn't going to win the argument. He was trying to convince them that this was a bad choice. But he realised they weren't going to take it. So then he washed his hands of the whole matter. He actually tried to appeal to their reason. That's why he kept asking questions. That's why he finished the question, what evil has he done? What does it mean when the scripture says um, uh, to release unto us? Who do you want me to release unto you? Verse 17, Therefore when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? If I agree to have someone released unto me, what am I saying? Yes, you're just about there. What I'm actually saying is, what I'm essentially saying is, I prefer to be in the company of the one you release to me. I want you to release him to me because I'm more comfortable and I'm more settled and I'm more safe with the person you're going to give me because he's going to be released to me. I prefer one over the other. And this is what people were choosing here. They were choosing Barabbas over Jesus because they were saying to Pilate essentially, we're safer with Barabbas. We want Barabbas to be among us, to be released to us. Sometimes the choices that life throws at us seem very clear and easy. In this case we read, it was a simple choice between two individuals. One was a murderer, a thief, a rebel who was guilty of insurrection against authority. The other was someone who was claiming to be the Messiah. The case that that these people had to deal with was which one would they feel more comfortable with being released back into their community? One warped way of thinking might go something like this. Hey, if I turn loose a thief and a robber like Barabbas, if we turn him loose to us, you know something? He might actually, he might actually appreciate what we've done for him. He might actually befriend us, which means he won't kill us and he might not steal from us. He'll appreciate what we've done for him. But if I let Jesus loose... You know that guy, he's been asking all types of questions about people need to repent and examine their lives and he's, all, he's saying that he's the one who's going to be our, our, our future king and you know something? He's going to give us more trouble than Barabbas. Plus, our religious leaders are saying that he's a threat so we have to believe them, right? What's their What's their motive? Their motive is simply to preserve their own lifestyle. Their motive is to preserve and to, and to protect themselves 
from the thing that they, that they fear more. And the thing they feared the most, or the person they feared more, was Jesus, rather than a criminal. My greater fear, in this case, is having to answer to God rather than living with a criminal in my midst. Imagine this scenario in Melbourne. Okay, We've got a choice in Melbourne. A notorious gangland criminal who's murdered, stole, sold drugs and everything else, Okay, being convicted of robbery and everything else, <clears throat> maybe sentenced to 20 years or 30 years. We have the option of releasing him back into the community. It's our choice as a community to release him back into the community or someone who's saying he's the son of God and he's the, he's the saviour of mankind. And the people of Melbourne choose the gangland criminal. Why? Because the Messiah expects something of you. The criminal goes around and does his stuff in the dark. Barabbas here is a very clear representation of Satan. You might say, oh, Satan? He's a very clear representation of Satan. Why? Turn to John chapter 18, verse 40 for a moment, and I'll, I'll explain to you. John chapter 18, verse 40 says, Then cried they all again. Okay, because his other chapters are giving us a bit more information about Barabbas. Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. And John tells us, Now Barabbas was a robber. Okay? Barabbas was a robber. So he was a thief. He'd steal things. Now go to Mark chapter 15, verse 7. Mark chapter 15, verse 7. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with them. Look at this, who had committed murder in the insurrection. So Barabbas was a rebel against authority. He was a murderer and he was a thief. Now turn to John chapter 8 verse 44. Because Jesus has it out with the religious leaders of his day. John chapter 8 verse 44. Jesus says to the religious leaders of his day, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is clearly described as a murderer in the Bible. Now turn to John chapter 10. Go forward a couple of chapters. John chapter 10 verse 1 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, 
but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Okay? Go down to verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Who is this thief that Jesus is speaking about that steals the sheep and wants to kill them? That's Satan. So Satan is a murderer, a thief, a liar, guilty of, we know, rebellion against authority. Barabbas is a thief, a murderer, guilty of insurrection against the authorities. The clear choice here is between Satan and Christ. And it's and the interesting thing which I've, I've, I've found interesting just recently is that it's the same choice the angels had in eternity, okay, in, in heaven. They had the same choice. They had a choice between Satan and the Son of God. Satan, a thief, a murderer, a liar, guilty of rebellion, and the Son of God. And we know that by, they, by their choice that a third of them chose to rebel. Two-thirds chose to remain loyal. The angels had a choice between two individuals. And, they, and, and many of them, a third of them, chose Satan. Man has his choice today. It's exactly the same choice. Man has a choice between Satan and the Son of God. The same choice the angels had. Man has the same choice to make. People consistently, though, choose Satan over Jesus. Why? Why? When, when, it, it, when the contrast is so clear... Why, when you compare these two individuals, one is pure and spotless and holy, one has the the rightful authority, the other is a rebel, a murderer, a thief, and people continually choose the thief, the murderer, the rebel, the liar. Why? Why do people choose Satan over Jesus? Well, go back to John chapter 3. The Bible tells us why people consistently choose Satan. Satan over Jesus. John chapter verse 19 says, and this is the condemnation. This is why people are condemned. That light is come into the world. That's Jesus. Jesus came into our world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. That's why people don't choose Christ. Because Christ reveals who you actually are. And people would rather live in the dark and not see themselves for what they actually are, but what they would like themselves to be. It didn't take much for the priests and the elders to persuade the multitude, it says in verse 20, that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Satan was using the priests and the elders of Jesus' day to murder him. 
And this is exactly what Jesus accused the Pharisees of doing. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. What lusts of the father? The father was a liar, a murderer, and a thief. So therefore they follow his lusts. They fulfill his desires, and his desire was to murder Jesus Christ. These religious leaders, these people who were meant to be the ones who led people into truth, were completely of the world and under the dominion of Satan. Let me make a clear point to you. The world will never try to convince you to put your trust in Jesus and to accept him. The world will never do that. It will never try to convince you to believe in him, to follow him. There is nothing in this world that will encourage a person to believe. Why? Because the world and its motives and its lusts are controlled by Satan. Satan is the father of the people in this world. And they are following his lusts. The world and its system are controlled by Satan. From the school system to the political system, religious organisations to unsafe family, unsafe friends, don't expect anyone to tell you, do what Jesus told you to do. Don't expect it. It will never happen. They will not only not encourage you to trust in Jesus... But they will tell you, don't trust him. He's untrustworthy. Trust us. Trust the world. Because the world is where all the wisdom is. The world is where all the, all the, the right stuff is. The truth is. The world will try to convince you to choose Barabbas every time. Even if Barabbas looks ugly and you know he's a murderer and a thief and everything else, the world will say, he's your best option. He's the one that you have to follow. Just like the Pharisees convinced the people of then, the world will do the same today. Even if that picture looks utterly terrible, they will say, Jesus is not your option. He's not. You've got to get rid of him. You've got to choose this guy. He's a leader. Yeah, he's done a few things wrong. Don't worry about it. He knows what he's doing. You're safer with him than with Jesus. And the question can easily be asked in this manner. What type of life do you want? When you are offered a choice between Jesus and another alternative, you are making a choice that will affect every day of your life. Aren't you? When you choose Christ, you are choosing a lifestyle that goes with him. When you choose Barabbas, you are choosing a lifestyle that goes with him. Depending on your answer, you'll experience one of two lifestyles. And I just want to compare three main points. Okay? A lifestyle outside of Jesus, one, is a life out of control. That's number one, out of control. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians 2 1 says, And you, that's us, he's speaking to the church, hath he quickened, which means brought to life, 
who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's everyone else who hasn't chosen Christ. Among whom also we had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's a wonderful description of, of uh, someone, a comparison between someone who's is following Satan and someone who's, who's following Christ. Most people choose Satan as their God, sometimes wittingly or unwittingly. He is the master. And as a master, he encourages you to pursue his desires, his lusts. Unfortunately, those desires come naturally to us as fallen creatures. You see, everyone starts off fallen. Everyone starts off in that state already. We have already our own lusts and desires and things which aren't right. And Satan has a wonderful way of manipulating those lusts and desires. Keeping us bound in them. There are many bad choices that I see people make every day. Sometimes I look at, I look at people and I'm praying for them and then they're presented with an option, a choice. And what I think is an, is an obvious choice becomes all of a sudden really muddled for them. They get confused. There's something going on. They just can't make the right choice. What is it? It's because they're following the lusts of their heart. Their heart is telling them one thing, but the truth is telling them something else. And the heart is louder. The heart, is, the heart is more, has more of a pull. So they follow the heart choice. Even if the Bible says the heart is more deceitful. And then they find themselves in a worse situation. Things start going wrong. And then they have another option before them, in a worse state than where they were before. And which one do they go for? The right option or the wrong option? No. The pattern's already there. They go for the wrong option again. And then they drop another level down. And then another one. And then another one. And before they know it, they are in such dire circumstances, and they don't know who to blame. You see, because there's got to be someone to blame here. So they blame everyone else around them. They blame God. They blame parents. They blame all this sort of stuff for their bad choices. A life under Satan is a life out of control. There is no control because when you're driven by your lusts, you are driven. Like a, like a, a flock of sheep that's herded into a certain direction with dogs around you to make sure that you go in the way that he wants you to go the difference is with Christ he's leading from the front he's not driving you he's leading you the next thing is a life under Satan is a life with no peace Isaiah chapter 48 22 says there is no peace, peace saith the Lord unto the wicked 
There is no peace with the wicked. They might put the facade on that they're actually in some sort of a peaceful state, but there is no peace. There is no peace when you're being condemned daily by your conscience. There is no peace while you're chasing the lusts of your heart each and every day. And you know what I'm talking about when you're saying, when I say chasing your lusts, because you never catch them. The more you get, the more you want. The more unfulfilled you become and you keep on chasing and chasing and chasing and you wear yourself out chasing the lusts of your heart until you fall in a heap. The lusts of man's heart are an ever-consuming and destructive pursuit. The deeper you go, the more you want the more unsatisfied you become. The more you want, the cycle goes on unto destruction. A life destroyed in misery, no life, no peace. And the final thing is, a life under Satan has no hope. No hope. Ephesians 2.12 says... That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There is no hope for people who have rejected God. There is no hope. What hope do I have? When I die, that's it for me. Most people believe that when when they die, that's it for their existence. No more existence for me. So where does that leave me? What do I do with these few remaining years that I've got? Ah, I know the answer. I'll chase the lust of my heart. That'll fulfil me. That'll give me purpose. There is no hope. There, the only hope is an eternity in hell. There is nothing else. There is a sick feeling that you are either going... Nowhere, very fast, or going somewhere where you don't want to be. There is no hope. But let's compare that with a life where God is in charge. Let's compare that with, with a life where Christ is chosen. Okay? Galatians 5 16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There is an option we have as Christians. And that's to live a life in control, not out of control, in control, where God's spirit is leading us to his truth. The next thing, John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When you're with Christ, you can have peace. And finally, with Christ is hope. First Peter three, first Peter chapter one, verse three to five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope. I love the fact that that, that Eddie says, I want to pray for Jesus' return. There's a hope there. There's an excitement. It's a lively hope. It's not a dead hope. It's something that's living within us. That we have something wonderful to look forward to. 
And even though we may struggle from day to day here, even though the burdens that we have sometimes seem very, seem very heavy, praise God, we have a wonderful hope that's ahead of us. A hope that encourages us to, to push on. We are kept by the power of God. That's a wonderful hope. What God has started in us, we know he's going to complete. That's a wonderful hope. So the question is, who do you want released to you? That's the first question. Who do you want released to you? Jesus or Barabbas? Who are you more comfortable with? Jesus or Satan? And once you've answered that question, the next one is, what do you then do with Jesus? Pilate asks, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? What do you do with him? Well, if you've chosen him as your saviour, and that's genuine, you will choose to follow him as your Lord. If you've chosen to reject him, you want him dead and buried. You don't want him popping his head up all the time. So you have to bury him in some way. You want him dead. You want to protect your decision. You don't want to have to make it over and over again. You want to say, no, I've made the decision. I want to move on. I want him dead and buried. The second question is a logical consequence of the first question. The people in Jesus' day chose to reject him as their saviour. Then they had to do something with him. So the the easiest thing to do was to kill him. So they didn't have to deal with him again. The amazing thing is that death couldn't stop him. They thought they'd gotten rid of him. That didn't work. The final question is, what evil has he done? Why? What evil has he done? What sin has he committed? What did he do wrong? What did he do to deserve death? For the person who has put their faith in Christ... The answer to that one is very clear and simple. He's done nothing wrong. He's only ever been good to me. He's only ever shown love to me. In fact, the fact that he went to that cross willingly showed me that he loved me. And he's proven himself to be sinless and perfect. And because he's sinless and perfect, he's also trustworthy which means the things that he said are true and I can trust. If he says that he paid for my sins, then I believe it. If he says that he's a son of God and I can trust him, then I believe it. For the Christian, Jesus is the same person the disciples chose to trust. They saw him. They saw the way he spoke, what he did, and they believed him and put their trust in him. We choose to believe their testimony as well. People who make bad choices always attempt to justify their choice, don't they? doesn't matter how bad it is. Even if they've done something wrong, people always come up with some sort of justification. Why did you break the speed limit, sir? Oh, I, was in a, I was in a rush. I had to get somewhere. Uh, why did you cheat on your wife? She doesn't understand me anymore. 
Why did you steal from the government? Why did you cheat on your tax return? Ah, uh, well, they're always they're wasting a whole lot of money as well. So people come up with excuses all the time, and they have to do that to actually quench their own to quench their own conscience. But what justification did the people have for rejecting Jesus and wanting him dead? When Pilate asked a question to them, what did he do that was wrong? What was their answer in that passage? Look at verse 23. And the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. What was their answer? What did he do wrong? Crucifying. Nothing. They couldn't give anything. Same reason people give today. Can, people, can anyone point a finger at Jesus today? And say, no, he's, he was evil. He was wrong. Can, can anyone point the finger at him? No, everyone's got him in their, their line of superstars. Right? You know, Jesus was a moral, great moral teacher. Jesus was, you know, uh, he was a, uh, someone who was a martyr. For, for doing good. Jesus only ever taught about love. Jesus had all these, uh, it's all these wonderful accolades. But they choose not to trust him. They choose not to believe him. They would rather have him dead and buried. People don't have any reason to just to reject Jesus. All they do is they try to drown out in their own minds and in their hearts with all the noise of the world with everything that they want to crowd into their lives, they want all that noise to drown out the reason they have for rejecting him. Just like the people then were given the option, why do you reject him? What has he done that's wrong? They just cried out, crucify him, get rid of him, get rid of him. They cried out louder and louder. People do exactly the same thing today. The noise that people fill their minds with, the noise of the world, the noise of career, entertainment, work, money, enjoyment, family, friends, hobbies, sport. People have many ways of draining out why they reject him and why they continue to reject him. I'm too busy. I've got things to do. But what has he done for you not to trust him? I don't know. I just can't. I've got too much to live for. What are my friends going to say? What's he done wrong, though? I don't know. I just can't. I'll have to think about it. I need time. I've listened to a few other people first. How you answer these three questions about Jesus determines where you will spend eternity. The choice is absolutely yours and mine. And it's the most important decision every person can ever make. Who will you choose? To choose Jesus is to choose life eternal. To reject Jesus is to choose eternal death. There is a choice that will determine your eternal living place. The place where you live forever. The place where you will live is going to be determined by whether you accept him or reject him. And God says something wonderful in the passage of Deuteronomy chapter 30. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, 
that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. If you have not chosen Jesus today, some people get the idea that they can actually not make the choice. That's a total fallacy. Because you know something? If you don't choose Jesus, you're already under Satan. People don't start off with a new, in neutral territory here and then choose evil or good. The problem is everyone, the Bible says, is already under evil, already under the dominion of Satan, already a servant to him and a slave of him. So the option you've only got is to get out from under him. If you fail to choose, you've chosen Satan. If you were to die today, then you will have chosen to reject him. The question you must ask yourself today is, if I have not chosen Jesus, then what evil did he do that I shouldn't choose him? What evil did Jesus do that has caused you to tell him no? Do you have any good reason for rejecting him this morning? If there's anyone who hasn't chosen him, who hasn't made that decision in their life to say, I choose him, then you've made your choice already. Christian, choosing Christ is just the beginning. We are faced with multiple choices each and every day. Yes, you may have chosen Christ to be your saviour, but I'll tell you something. At every stage in your life, at everything that the world throws up against you, you then choose him or Satan again. Think about it. You have an option to sin or not. You're making an active decision to either choose Christ or Satan at that point. And then if you choose Satan, what do you do with Christ? You have to put him out of your, of your mind. You have to try and bury the thought of him. You can't live. Some of the most miserable people on this planet are Christians who choose Satan over Christ. Miserable. Because they, they're presented with options in their lives... Where there's, where there's the option of following your Lord and the option of following your lusts and Satan. And they choose Satan. And they become miserable. And then they have to try and bury. And then they get more and more distant from the Lord. And then they say, the Lord isn't with me. I don't feel him anymore. Well, you don't feel him because you left him a long time ago. You've chosen to walk a different path. And now you're finding yourself in all types of problems because of your choices. And you know deep down inside that you're struggling because you failed to choose correctly. But what drove you to make that choice? What did Jesus do wrong? What sin did Jesus commit 
What did he ever do wrong to you that you choose your lusts over him? Has he ever lied to you? Has he ever not shown love to you and patience to you? Has he ever asked you for something you can't do? Has he abandoned you? Never. Yet we choose as Christians too many times to follow our lusts and the world rather than him. Christian, you have choices each and every day. The unsaved hasn't made their first choice yet. Or sorry, they have made their first choice because if they, if they haven't chosen Christ, they've already made their choice. But for us who have chosen Christ, we need to continue to choose him. Let's make that choice. Pilate was mistaken to believe that he could, could have washed his hands of the whole affair. You can't wash your hands of this matter. You can't make this someone else's choice. The choice is ours and ours alone. We must answer them. And what are your responses to these three questions? Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus? What shall I do then with Jesus? What has he ever done wrong? Let's remember him in all decisions that we make. There was a, uh, there was a thing... Um, developed recently that, that I remember a few years ago, what would Jesus do? Have you ever heard of those? Uh, make those what would Jesus do? You know, I've been in a situation where, where something is, I don't know, I have to ask myself, what would Jesus do? The problem we've really got is most of us know what we should do. The real question is, do I choose him over the world? Or do I choose the world over him? That's the bottom line. Off too many times we don't choose him. God bless you guys. Thank you.